0: History books tell us that the American Civil War began when the first shots were fired in 1861. But many say that the war truly began years before, when the first blood was spilled during the battle over slavery in our country. The war began in 1859, some say, when a radical abolitionist named John Brown took over a federal arsenal in Harpers Ferry, Virginia, in an attempt to start a slave rebellion in the South. But others believe that it started two decades earlier, in 1837, when a newspaper publisher named Elijah Lovejoy became the first man to die standing up in the fight for freedom. Lovejoy, of course, died here in Alton, Illinois, and his death echoed through the decades, lingering on not only as a ghost story, but placing Alton on the front lines of the 19th century's bloody battle between North and South, slave states and free. And from violence, terror, and death, comes Tales of Hauntings. Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our first season explores the hauntings of Alton, Illinois, one of the most haunted small towns in America. Without question, the Civil War was a turning point in American history. It is a war that some say is still being fought in many ways today. Depending on who you ask, there were many reasons as to why the war was fought in the first place, from the economy to state's rights. But, well, overall, I think it boils down to what a much more eloquent writer than I called the sleeping serpent, slavery. It was, he said, on everyone's mind, though not always on their tongues. Americans had been buying slaves for more than 200 years before the Civil War began. Traders began bringing over black captains from Africa in 1619, and Americans were buying them and putting them to work on their farms, growing tobacco, indigo, and rice. By the time our Founding Fathers crafted the Constitution in 1787, though, slavery had been banned in the northern states. But ironically, 15 of the men who crafted the document and believed that all men were created equal were slave owners. Not a one of them even considered the idea of ending slavery. But luckily, many of the politicians who followed in their wake began to do so. By 1808, laws were passed that banned foreign slave trade to America. This may have seemed like a milestone, but well, it wasn't really. It did nothing to stop the domestic buying and selling of slaves. Besides, thousands of children were born into slavery every year, so why would anyone need to buy them from outside the country? Those who wanted to end slavery had to be content with small victories and with the belief that slavery would die out on its own. The factories and mills of the North dominated the American economy and Southern plantations were dying with no real products to sell. By all rights, slavery would be dead within a decade of the ban. But then along came Eli Whitney's cotton gin. Cotton was an up and coming crop in the South, but no one could figure out how to make money with it. It was too time consuming to be a major cash crop Cotton seeds had to be separated from the fiber, and even working all day, a slave could barely clean one pound of cotton. The cotton gin changed all that. It used long cylinders to snag the lint and leave the seeds behind. It could clean cotton even faster than the slaves could pick it. By 1850, the Southern states were producing more than one million tons of cotton every year. Even so, the planting and picking of cotton was tedious hard work. Well, in other words, perfectly suited for slave labor. The institution of slavery was revived by the invention of the cotton gin, extending its life by decades. The answer to the revival of slavery was the growth of the American abolitionist movement. By the 1830s, many in the northern states began speaking out against the injustice of slavery. They rallied around leaders like William Lloyd Garrison, who published the first abolitionist newspaper, and Frederick Douglass, a former slave. The rise of the abolitionist movement sent a wave of fear through the South. They responded to the cries of freedom for slaves by tightening the laws that banned black people from even learning to read, and by passing laws that forbid slavery to be discussed in Congress. But once the debate began, well, it wouldn't stop. Compromises were reached allowing new free states to enter the Union, while strengthening laws that captured runaway slaves. Federal agents were ordered to help capture escaped slaves, and anyone who helped a slave to escape, because they were considered the property of their owners, faced hefty fines and years in jail. Abolitionists revolted, though. The city of Chicago passed a resolution that stated that the new laws were in violation of both the Constitution and the laws of God and refused to enforce them. And then came the next nail in the coffin of slavery. In 1850, Harriet Beecher Stowe published a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin, a poorly written and factually inaccurate book about slavery. The author spent exactly one weekend in a slave state before writing the book in Maine, but No one really cared. It got everyone's attention and sold more than 300,000 copies in the first year of publication It inspired songs, plays, and even a card game. And England's Queen Victoria reportedly wept while reading it. Years later, when president Lincoln met Harriet Beecher Stowe for the first time, he was introduced to her and said, so you're the little lady who started the war. Abolitionists along with ordinary northerners openly defied the fugitive slave laws, which infuriated the South. Debate over slavery escalated and fanned the flames of mistrust between the North and the South. There would be no more compromises over slavery. Blood was shed by abolitionists in Kansas and Virginia, and anger reared its ugly head in the U.S. Senate when a South Carolina Congressman named Preston S. Brooks nearly beat an abolitionist Senator named Charles Sumner to death with his walking stick. In 1860, America elected a new president, Abraham Lincoln, and soon after, the Southern states seceded and the country began its long dark road towards war. Through it all, Alton had played a role. Since the murder of Elijah Lovejoy in 1837, Alton had been the subject of many debates both for and against the abolition of slavery. After the compromise that strengthened the fugitive slave laws in the 1850s, there was an uproar from many in Alton about the injustice of the laws. Many simply refused to obey them, ignoring the threat to their safety and their own freedom. Many local men and women became a part of what was known as the Underground Railroad. The railroad was a secret route by which slaves could escape to freedom in the north, and Alton became one of the leading stations in western Illinois. The Underground Railroad was started more than five decades earlier by the Quakers and other religious groups, but saw its heyday in the 1850s. By then, it had grown into a widespread trail of safe houses. There was, of course, no actual railroad, but safe cities became known as stations, hiding places as depots, and those who guided the fugitives to safety became known as conductors. The slaves traveled by night and relied on safe houses and farms where they could be sheltered. During the daylight hours, the fugitives were concealed in basements, barns, and in often elaborate hiding places that were constructed inside of private homes, businesses, and churches. They would be watched over and fed by conductors who would assist them in continuing their journey after nightfall. The Underground Railroad became the stuff of legend largely because there was so little documentation that existed about where the stations were located. It was just simply too dangerous to tell anyone. In Illinois, the most often used stations were along the river, where slaves could easily escape from Missouri. This included towns like Cairo, Chester, Quincy, and Alton. One of Alton's best known conductors, whose identity became known after the war ended, of course, was Major Charles Hunter, who founded the Hunterstown neighborhood and the Alton City Cemetery, which began as a burial ground only for African Americans. It was said that he often drove his wagon across the countryside with an extra passenger or two concealed beneath blankets and rugs. Other public figures were said to have been involved as well, including Benjamin Godfrey, for which the town of Godfrey is named, and Senator Lyman Trumbull. But like locations where the stations were hidden away, we only have legend and lore to support these accounts. There are many places in Alton that may have been stations on the Underground Railroad, We say may have been because naturally no written records exist. We only have tunnels, hiding spots, secret cellars, and storage rooms that still exist today, places where slaves were supposed to have hidden during the daylight before they could be moved under the cover of darkness. Such places still exist under the First Unitarian Church, which still has the foundation from St. Matthew's Church from the 1850s, a home on 6th Street that once belonged to a former slave, the old rock house on College Avenue, a building on Broadway that has a bricked off tunnel today and perhaps most famous of all the Enos apartments on 3rd Street which brings us to our story or at least half of our story for this episode <laughs> The Apartments began as something else entirely, the private home of a wealthy farm implement dealer named Nathaniel Hansen. The ornate and impressive mansion was constructed in 1857. It was during the heyday of the Underground Railroad and at a time before Alton played its role in the Civil War. Legend has it that Hanson was very involved with the abolitionist movement in the Alton area and often served as a conductor for the Underground Railroad. When work began on his home, which is located on a bluff that overlooks the Alton Riverfront and the Mississippi River, he instructed tunnels to be built under the basement of the house so that the runaway slaves could be safely hidden there. The tunnel, although bricked off at one end, still extends from the lower basement of the house and outward under Third Street. The foundation of the structure is 15 feet below the level of the street and there are numerous rooms and narrow passageways carved into the limestone. Legend has it that the ornate cupola on the roof of the mansion was used as a signal post for escaped slaves coming from across the river. One light that was placed in the window was said to have been a signal that all was clear and two lights meant there was danger on the Illinois side. The cupola, which towered over downtown Alton, could be easily seen from the Missouri side of the river. The house saw quite a bit of activity during the busiest years of the Underground Railroad, but there were no records, of course, to say just how many runaways may have passed through the house's clever hiding place. But this has not stopped the creation of legends that state that the former slaves who passed through the house are at least partially responsible for the hauntings that occur within the mansion's walls. Tragedy often occurred along the Underground Railroad. Escaped slaves were often captured, wounded, or even killed. Fugitives were always in danger, and many never reached freedom. Hidden away in the darkness, never knowing if they'd be caught, hungry, sick, and in terror, they may have left a piece of themselves behind. Their fear and anguish left an indelible mark on the place, causing a location, like the former mansion, to become known for being haunted. Lingering spirits of escaped slaves, or at least the haunting caused by the horror of their time there, may explain some of the things that occur in the building but it can't explain them all. The former mansion seems to have two very different hauntings caused by two very different time periods. You see, I believe that many of the ghosts that haunt this building come from a later era in the house, a time when scores of people actually died within the walls of this mansion. In 1911, long after its days as a station on the Underground Railroad, the house was purchased by Dr. W. H. Enos and turned into a tuberculosis sanatorium. This was during an era when tuberculosis was medically incurable, and the White Death, as it was often called, was still one of the greatest killers in American history. During the 1800s and early 1900s, America was devastated by tuberculosis, a deadly and terrifying disease for which no cure existed. It often claimed entire families and sometimes even entire towns. For decades, no one knew what caused it or how it was spread. It usually affected the lungs and caused a chronic cough, fever, night sweats, and weight loss. The other name for the illness, consumption, came about because those who suffered from the disease were pale and thin as if the sickness was literally consuming their bodies. Tuberculosis wiped out families and communities because it was spread by bacteria in the air and when the afflicted coughed, sneezed, or even spoke, it was a silent and invisible killer that seemingly could not be stopped. Many tried, though. Sufferers flocked to dry climates, and many doctors, along with medical quacks, opened hospitals and sanatoriums to care for the sick and dying. There was no medicine available then to cure the disease, so patients were offered the best treatments available. Rest, lots of nutritious foods, and fresh air. The main use for sanatoriums though was simply to isolate the people who had contracted the disease and keep them away from those who had not. Families were tragically divided with parents and even children forced into county sanatoriums with little contact with their loved ones. In the early 1900s, most treatments consisted of sunshine and as much fresh air as the patient could stand. They would place them in front of huge windows or on open porches so they could breathe easier, no matter what the season. Old photographs exist showing tuberculosis patients lounging in chairs, taking in fresh air while covered with snow. Later treatments were less pleasant and a lot bloodier. In some cases, balloon-like sacs were surgically implanted in the patient's lungs and then filled with air to expand them. Needless to say, the results were often disastrous. There was also an operation that removed muscles and ribs from a patient's chest to allow the lungs to expand further and let in more oxygen. This was an extreme last resort, and most patients, well, they didn't survive it. Luckily, medicine came along in the 1930s that effectively treated the disease, eliminated the need for horrific operations, worthless treatments, and failing sanatoriums. Nothing as terrible as tuberculosis surgeries ever occurred at Dr. Enos's sanatorium in Alton, but patients did die on a regular basis. Well, how could they not since there was no cure for the illness? Dr. Enos bought the house and started his hospital with the best of intentions. In 1914, he literally raised the roof of the house and added a fourth floor beneath the spacious attic in the cupola. It was left open with no walls as a sunroom and an opening for fresh air. To reach that floor, he installed the first elevator in the city of Alton, which had been part of a building from the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. He also built a smaller structure on the right side of the building to be used as a nurse's quarters. As a treatment, the patients who paid a hefty price for private care were served copious amounts of rich food, as many as six meals a day, and exposed to fresh air, of which the place had plenty since so stood on a high bluff above the city. I'm sure it comes as no surprise that food and fresh air was mostly unsuccessful as a treatment for a deadly disease. And the majority of the patients who came to Alton died from their illness. The hospital was eventually closed down. A few years later, it was remodeled again and turned into an apartment building. But it seems as though the patients of the past have never really checked out of the old hospital. The building has gone through many owners over the years and even more tenants, but scores of them have strange and eerie stories to tell. Doors open and close, lights turn on and off, footsteps are heard at unusual hours and things disappear only to turn up again in different places. The objects can include keys, jewelry, books, small trinkets and in one case, an entire bottle of wine. There have been stories of loud noises that have no explanation, pounding on the staircase and even apparitions that have been seen inside of the house and looking out the windows of apartments that were empty at the time. Well, of anyone living anyway. The Enos apartment building, once known as the home of Nathaniel Hanson and as a station on the Underground Railroad, is a place that has been marked by the past. It has played a part in two tragic eras from Alton history, two time periods that replay themselves over and over again behind the building's brick walls. Will the hauntings here someday fade away, or will they continue to serve as a reminder that the past is never truly past. not Francis Ford. I I honestly would not have... No, 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 it's Cupola, and I just said,
1: like, Francis Ford Coppola. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about all the words that are pronounced really weird
0: in this story, (laughs) and that's going to be my main, (laughs) my main name. here we go. Sorry, I See now, now I made such a production out of dropping know, the paper it's like that I know. I'm picturing it's, you over here going, "It's I so know. exaggerated." It's I have I've made such a production out of it that I I he fuck talked. up every paragraph when we get to. There's a
1: sixth grader putting their science book away.
0: Exactly, I know.
1: <clears throat> Welcome to American Hauntings podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to Episode 10 of Season 1, which delves into the hauntings of Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor.
0: Hey, well, who thought we would get to Episode 10? I did not <laughs> expect this. We, we didn't know we'd get past Episode 1, but uh, we did, and we're up to Episode 10. Honestly, and yes. It actually gets more fun. Every time yeah, you see so. me
1: six months ago when I'm pacing around my bedroom, and I'm <laughs> yelling this idea, pitching this idea to my girlfriend and talking about it. And I'm like, I don't know if he's going to go for it at all. Like maybe we might
0: only do like three episodes. I have no idea, but I just, I just want to try. I didn't know. Happens. Yeah, well, and I didn't know. Actually, honestly, amazing. hey, you know what? Let me let me give you like a small confessional. Yeah, I didn't know if you would stay involved. If you would be like continue to be interested <laughs> oh, okay. beyond past like episode four. I thought, okay, Cody uh, with uh, pizza, neckties, everything else. I didn't know if he would continue to do this. I do have I, a short attention span. I know, for shiny but things. you know what? But I I thought that once. We got this thing going that you would be excited about it, and, and it has worked out. And it's been a lot of fun, honestly. Hey, listen, yeah. And I, I'm laughing at you and I'm teasing you about it, but I didn't know if I would stay interested in it or not, just because uh, that's the real, well, it wasn't even so much interested, is it would just become like, okay, what a hassle, yeah. Now, God for so sure. we look forward to it. I right. mean, I really look forward to doing this, and no, it is a lot of fun, and I appreciate it. And uh, it, it is, it's the same it thing is. here it's you know, I don't
1: want to do anything that like especially a side project that seems like a burden, like right? a, yeah, like a hassle, right? No, it's it's something yeah. that I absolutely yeah. look forward to, and for sure, it gets on my nerves sometimes, and it's a little
0: bit. Well, tedious, it's harder for you because but, you have to do the technical stuff. All yeah, I have but to do that, is show up,
1: but and I, but, stuff, but this so. part of it that we're doing right now, I love it. This I love it every single part. time, and it it's, it's a lot definitely fun. a fun part. And it took a little while. There's definitely a learning curve, and I'm, I'm oh, learning yeah. every single episode to yeah, try and make
0: everything sound a little bit
1: better and make everything make a little bit more sense. Well, it's been easier.
0: It's been easier since we've gotten we we got free of the constraints that we had yes. and now we're recording wherever we want to be recording right. and we've been recording at the office uh, the American Haunting's office. And this week, or this episode, we're yep. actually at the Best Western premiere in Alton. So right. we are uh, recording our Alton podcast in Alton, Alton. which we have done periodically. Right. Out, of, yes. out of 10, what have we done? Two, three, four episodes uh, four, outside of Alton? Four, something, four, like that. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So we're right off yeah. College
1: Avenue, kind of by yeah. Robert those statue right now. Just down the street. And we. Yeah. this
0: is the official hotel of American Haunting's. We yes. should say that, because it, it is. really is. This is where the conference this is where we have a conference every year. Uh, we are, um, in fact, speaking at a conference, and that's my segue. By the way, that is that was my a, that, that was, is my professional radio segue. That was a and legit speaking. Segue. Of the conference, had you not um, blown it right there? Yes, that was a legit, <laughs> legit segue. No, we actually, this is where we have our conference. We, we actually, we really do love this place. They, yeah. uh, they, they are the best here. They, very they really, they are. They do all kinds of stuff for us. We needed a microphone stand for this episode, and all we had to do was ask, and they and came Matt through. Matt brought it for us. Um, I will say, we did give him. An, well, should I say we had that? to bribe him in we, alcohol? We did, let's say we slightly bribed him with alcohol <laughs> for, the, uh, for the, the for the. But he's of age, it was fine, right? So, um, but but it is fun, and they do they do such a great job at the conference every year, and they they really bend over backwards to make it work for us, and we are in the midst of planning. By the time you mm-hmm. hear this. We probably will have gone into more detail about the conference. Um, Right now, we do have our speaker list up for for 2018, which is in June of 2018. Um, Sarah Chavez, who if you are familiar with the Order of Good Death, and a lot of people are, um, Sarah is the executive director of that. And she is, um, a beyond amazing. And I was, it was one of those things where I've been for a year, I've been telling Lisa, I'm like, I really want to ask Sarah if she'll do the conference. Yeah. And do you think she will? I said, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, you know, she's, a, she's a big deal. She is, she's a big deal. And, uh, I thought I'm going to ask her. And, uh, I thought, you know, I may have to Talk her into it. Um, yeah, it took uh, about 12 seconds. Hey, to all get right. It. She said yes. So, all right. Uh, we also have Colin Dickey who wrote a great book called Ghostland, which, by the way, on October the 3rd comes out in paperback. So if you don't have – for if for whatever reason, you were dumb enough to not buy it yeah, in hardcover. Yeah, you cover, don't happen to have Yeah, you should have it. Um, if you don't have it already, it comes out in a trade paperback. On Tuesday, you need to buy this book. This was – of last this past year, that is my favorite ghost book that came oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna do a re, um, not so not so much a review, but some suggestions of some newer ghost books. Yeah. a little bit later and crime related books, a little bit later in October. Um, and this will be on the list again. I've already recommended it once. Okay. But, but Colin will be at the conference in June, so I'm excited about that. Awesome. Um, Robert Damon Schneck um, also has done a number of really, I mean, this guy. I mean, not only is he, he's got a great sense of humor, but he writes about some really unusual stuff. I mean, this is not your standard. No, I mean, this is beyond what we normally think of. unusual for the unusual. This is unusual for the unusual. Okay. Um, There was a movie made called, and I don't know if if I didn't see it, and I I will see it. I haven't. I I haven't yet, but it's called The Bye-Bye Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, familiar with yeah. that? That's actually – that movie is actually based on a story that he put together from true events. Mm-hmm. It's based on – tr- it's one of those based on a true story. But right. I'm not sure how accurate it turned out to well, be. Yeah, but it was, it was loosely Halloween. based on some of his stuff that awesome. he did. Awesome. OK. Um, so Sherry Brake will be coming back. Sherry um, does – she's a speaker every other year, but she's at the conference every year doing yeah. something. Um, Jennifer Jones, uh, my friend friend of mine from Utah – uh, does a company called The Dead History, and I'm just going to say this right here on the podcast. I received a shirt that I ordered from her. She put out some brand new T-shirts, yeah, and she sent me a note with it and said um, I was her very first order. So, oh. just so you know, I'm her very first book or T-shirt order. Awesome. So I was very excited. So uh, Rosemary and Guiley will be back, and Rosemary is is again has been to the conference for. I am pretty sure. Pretty much every year, so that makes it like 22 years. Yeah. Um, April Slaughter, who April um, is part of our company, she's our office manager, and mm-hmm. uh, she will be doing uh, a thing on uh, post-mortem photography this year. Awesome. I mean, she will not be taking dead pe- pictures of dead people at the conference. Oh, that's, but that's not happening. No, but she will oh, be. I don't know. Then she will be showing how you know if you fi- like if you go into an antique store and look yeah. at the dead relatives section, as I like to call it. Right. Um, right. You'll know if those people it's are actually dead or if they. You know, we're alive when the picture we're taking. Right. I met uh, I met April last yeah. year. Yeah. was at a table next. Week. Oh yeah, she, she was, was right awesome. next to you. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. Was great. And Sarah Soderlin um, is coming back to do a workshop this year. She's not a speaker, but she is doing a workshop. Okay. Um. And so, um. Well, I'll be speaking at the conference. Big deal. Oh, Wait, you're gonna? I talk? speak at the conference every year. Um, I, wait,
1: I give you a platform here. You I know. Well, but platform? yeah, but but
0: here's the thing: we're also going to be doing a live episode of the podcast. Oh yeah, conference. about so, that. Okay. Yeah, we're going to be doing that. Right, uh, we're going to do it at the conference. We're also going to be doing it at Dead of Winter too. Yes, yes. So uh, February tenth at the Mineral Springs here in Alton, and it's free. It's free conference. Not free. Yeah. So Dead you, of winter is free. No excuse um, not to come. There is no excuse, and we will be doing a live episode. We don't know. We don't know what we're doing yet. I, I mean, yet. I imagine, would you expect any different? I it, mean, let's I would be honest. Anyone listening to us would they expect? Any I different? imagine
1: we'll do something about Mineral Springs, but also every time we're in Alton, if we're going to do a live show, I would imagine we're going to do the most requested, like the the favorites of Alton. I would imagine. Yeah, like, we'll, we're going to talk we'll, about the hot
0: topics. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to put together something uh, for that's somewhat winter related. Yeah. And then we will be open to my, – my, the way I'm foreseeing this mm-hmm. right now is open to the attendees there. At the yeah, event, I want to do a Q&A um, and, and, a and get them sure. involved and yes. get some kind of Q&A because we'll definitely do that for uh, the conference because I think what we're going to do is we're going to wrap our episode into the strange stuff event right. that we do, that Len and Luke do every year at the beginning of the conference, yeah, yeah. which is kind of an interactive thing, and I want to make it interactive with them and interactive with us with the podcast. So that should be, I think, pretty cool
1: for sure. And I mean, if you're just if you're interested, if you're interested in Alton, or if you're interested in just the old buildings in Alton, or just you
0: know uh, local businesses and stuff in Broadway anything. and everything, like I, any there's so many reasons Or just ghost stories and hauntings, because yeah, or just if you want creepy. Friends, by, hey, come listen, hang by out. February. We'll have finished Alton. Yeah. Our, our Alton season will that's, be over. We'll, that's we'll be true. moved on to something else. It's a little so, bit ahead of yeah, us, but yeah, yeah, we're going to be done with yeah, Alton. Yeah, we're going to be doing some other stuff by then. So, um, which, speaking of that, as far as the conference goes or the podcast goes, I was just looking at my notes and it says, thanks for the great response, great response. I don't know how I did that. For, the, the, bo- for the both podcast. the great responses. I know, both great responses. But actually, we do want to say thank you because we. This is episode ten. Yeah, and by the time you've heard this, uh, we have not actually recorded that many episodes yet. Not, not <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, really. we recorded them, but we you guys have not heard them yet. Yeah, and we are always amazed at how many um, reviews we've gotten on iTunes, which we yep. always appreciate and and encourage you if you listen to the podcast and you like it. Go there. You don't even have to say much. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to write a story, man. We don't need you a. Really don't. We don't need an entire thing about how much you like or dislike either one of us. We just. <laughs> you could just go in there and go, "Hey, this is fun," and that's enough. That I mean, really I'm, I'm cool with it that. Just, it so, just helps
1: us. It helps us yeah. find other people, um, you know, to, that want to listen to the podcast. And um, no, and, and and I love it because every time I, I check the stats for every podcast and I see the number of downloads, the number of listens and stuff, yeah. and every time I refresh because I'm like, this is this is not right, N- this is not right. <laughs> so many people have been
0: listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. It, it. really fun. really means a lot. I mean, because means- this was a this this is one of those things where if you ask for a definition of labor of love. This is it. Yeah. I mean, because we don't, we just do this because it's fun What's that? and we really appreciate everybody
1: who listens. It's the cliche thing of, you know, what would you do if, you know, you weren't getting paid for it. You could do whatever you want. Like, this is what this I would is do yeah. and this is, where I've had the most success, like people love it, and and I'm like, that's great. I'm so happy you love it because I would do it even if you didn't love it, you know. And because I, I just I say
0: that about writing books because right occasionally I'll put out a book that no one buys. <laughs> well, I would say no one, but there's always oh, those diehard true. people that I love that yeah. I listen. I love every one of you, really. <laughs> every single um, And there are certain books that I put out because I just had to write. And that's yeah. kind of like what, what the podcast has become. Of we're going to do this no matter what. Yeah, you just had to. So get we're it just out glad again. you listen. Absolutely, it, it helps.
1: And I, so, I know. mean, I've said this once. I'll say it a thousand times. Like this whole thing was a ploy just to get Troy in a room to teach me about my hometown. and it's worked out for me really well so far. Um, okay, so let's let's dive in. We should get into this episode. Yeah, let's yes. dive into this episode. So, okay, the first thing, actually, I have so many questions, but the first thing I'm going to ask is, so pretty much, this is a situation where it's one if by land, two if by nope, like no, no, no. Well, yeah, that's, Don't come I, over.
0: again, you know, and that's an interesting thing uh, about the lights. That was a story, that was a legend that went around about the cupola on the house. Um, you know... The Underground Railroad is a an interesting thing because it has gotten so much over the last, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 years or so. I, I don't know how long, really, that people have been talking about it really heavily. Um, it's one of those things that so many people didn't know anything about yeah. well, for good reason. Yeah. Because it was supposed to be secret. You know, no one was supposed to know about it. it was sub- because, I mean, you know, if you got caught helping a slave to escape, from the South from from slavery. Yeah. I mean you were you were stealing
1: according property. to the laws of the
0: time, that was someone else's property. Yeah. And you were stealing it. And this was this was property that was worth a lot of money. Right. Um because the you know, even if you compute force. it, right, if you compute it by the amount of work that was done in a year, um, the hours that you would pay someone to do that work, which obviously you weren't paying them because these right. people these poor people would, were literally property. Yes. Um, they were expensive, and you know when you helped you help steal that, um, it became the kind of the 1930s equivalent of stealing a car. And I know, yeah. I know we're not, we're talking about humans, we're talking about cars, but in the 1930s, when almost by that time almost every American owned an automobile. Mm-hmm. Um, car theft rings became a huge thing. I mean, before there were public enemies, before there were John Dillinger and bank yeah. robbers and Bonnie and Clyde, um, car theft was the, the greatest, one of the biggest crimes in America. Because like I said, it's the amount of impact that the theft has, exactly. right? And, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. And so you're not only stealing when you're stealing these slaves, you're you're, you're helping to escape. Um, You're helping them to escape. You're you're taking away. This is how they saw it at the time impacting. You're taking away their livelihood. You know, you're taking away the amount of work that they would do, the amount of breeding that they would do by producing new slaves. I mean, this is horrible. I mean, this is horrible. Um, but this but is how that's it the way it was seen at the time. And I think it's important that we,
1: like, you have that, to we understand that we talk about this. Yeah. And I know it's terrible. It's the same reason Looney Tunes doesn't edit their cartoons now because they right. say this was a terrible part of our past, but we need to not this forget is, about it.
0: Right. This is something that's important. And, and I, I often say you can't judge the past by the standards of today. And in some ways, that's okay. Mm-hmm. In some ways, that we're not, not necessarily okay, but you have to look at things a different way. This isn't one of those times yes, when I absolutely. say that. This is, a t- this is something that was never right. It's no oh matter yes. how you look at absolutely. it, it was never correct. You can't ever – this is something you can't judge by the standards of today and say, oh, it was wrong. No, it was wrong then. Right. But that's how it worked. That's how things work. Yeah. So when you were helping a slave to escape from bondage, um, you were, according to the laws at the time, stealing – from the owners of those slaves. Mm-hmm. And so you had a situation where no one could talk about this. They had to keep it hidden. They had to keep it secret. Yeah. There are no records of the Underground Railroad. No one ever wrote this stuff down. You mm-hmm. couldn't. I mean, you just couldn't. So all we have are the, you know, the oral histories that have been passed on over the years. Mm-hmm. And so when you get into situations like, you know, the uh, the the Enos building, the the Hansen building, you um, and anywhere else that was part of the Underground Railroad. Yeah. We'll, we'll never know how many slaves ever came through there. Mm-hmm. We'll never know exactly the conditions that they were under. Right. We can guess by the, by the location, but we won't ever know for sure. We don't even really know for sure who was involved. All we have yeah. is legend. All, all we have is local lore. Benjamin Godfrey was said to have been very involved with the Underground Railroad. And he right. probably was because... Uh, Benjamin Godfrey was an early supporter of Elijah Lovejoy. We talked about him in an earlier episode. Yeah. And Benjamin Godfrey was – it was it was Godfrey's warehouse where Lovejoy was taking and his printing presses. presses right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, chances are – I mean, I'd say it's a very good chance that he was as involved with the Underground Railroad as mm-hmm. legend has it. You know, um, the same way with uh, Charles Hunter. Yeah. Um, who founded Hunterstown, which was a mostly African American neighborhood? Even back then, you know, were mostly freed slaves and and free blacks. Um, founded the, which became the Alton city cemetery. It was a burial ground only for African-Americans. Is this around here? Still? Oh, sure or it is. Like... It's the Alton city cemetery. So it's that, the okay, B cemetery it is. Right. where Elijah Lovejoy, is, where his monument is because right. we Lovejoy's body was hidden there yeah. in the African-American cemetery because it was the only place they thought he'd be safe. Right. Well, so, sense. you know, I mean, so these people were important parts of the community And so if legend has it they were part of the Underground
1: Railroad, they probably were. Do we know anything about, like, are there any records of people, um, you know, getting in trouble for the Underground Railroad? Or do we know what the repercussions were if you got caught, you
0: know, harboring slaves or helping anybody? Do we know any of that stuff? There was. And there was some of that that took place here in Alton. There were a a lot of court cases that took place where they – some of the local – Uh, abolitionists were trying to free some of the slaves that came here to the city. See, um, if you owned a slave and you brought them to Illinois, which would be a a free state, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, you still own that property. But what would often happen is when you would bring them to these free states— There would be abolitionists here who would do everything they could to get them free. Right. Uh, Because, you know, it was protests and organizing back then, too, just like it is today. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny how little things really have changed. I was going to say how far we've come and how far we have not Has You know, I mean, Thoreau didn't invent it, but he popularized it. Yeah. And it's become one of those things that we're still doing today. And even back, you know, in the 1840s and 1850s. If you, you know, there were many cases of people brought slaves here to Alton and they would do everything they could to get them free. And oftentimes they were. Um, At other times, um, slave catchers, as they were often known, which were essentially bounty hunters who worked for slave owners. Right. Would come up into the free states because you know, as we talked about, you know, the strengthening of those fugitive slave laws and that kind of thing, um, in part of those compromises that let free states and slave states into the union. I mean, you know, we, we look at our political climate today and, and the things that, that are going on right now are insane. But listen, if we lived 150 years ago, <sighs> yeah. yeah. Um, imagine living at a time when politics without the instant gratification we have of, you know, Facebook and Twitter and social media and television. Imagine how things must have been back then. The 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 fury that would build up in people waiting for news. Yeah. Because a newspaper, you know, or even a telegraph line or a story might take days or weeks to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. And you're so angry about something that's going on in Washington, DC and you live in Illinois. Yeah. And it takes a week to find out the news. Imagine how these people must have felt. It's no surprise that there were riots and, you know, people were stealing, you know, helping slaves to escape right out into their master's nose. You know, I mean, it's no wonder the Underground Railroad was born the way that it was of course and i think it also speaks to a lot about
1: uh the power of the press and as far as you know three printing presses with eliza p love joy and stuff i mean when news yeah. doesn't travel that fast right. and the, the power of just the written word and the news people are able to push out because it holds so much weight because you don't get that instant gratification exactly. of the internet of tweets of live video streams of what's going on and and so what you read is you know going to.
0: That's what's gonna influence how you Right. It's gonna influence everything you do for the next who knows how long until the next newspaper report comes along or the next telegram or letter arrives from the East Coast. Right. And you're
1: even hoping then, the hell, you can even read. Yeah, well, well, the that
0: too. yeah. somebody's going to tell you about it <laughs> if you can't read it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it was a it's such a volatile time in our history. And, you know, I, t- I talked about when, you know, a lot of people, you know, question when the Civil War really began. Mm-hmm. I mean, figuratively speaking, of course. Um, you know, people say that the, the Civil War was was spawned here in Alton when Elijah Lovedoy was killed in yeah. 1837 because this was the first – I mean, this was the first, and, and, and because of history, this is the way it counted. This was the first white man that died in the battle against slavery. And that's when people get into an uproar. Exactly. Right? When that's when people got, got into an uproar. Yeah. And so, you know, the abolitionists in New England got all a, a bit out of shape about this and decided they needed to try to, uh, you know, bring some brains out here to the West. And that's when really things started to take off into the 1840s and 50s. And, you know, a lot of these guys in New England, you know, we don't, we didn't, I didn't get into all this in the story, but, you know, a lot of them were shipping guns mm-hmm. out to the, the anti-slavery people in Kansas and Illinois. Um, Henry Ward Beecher, who is the, one of the, one of the people really involved with um, Illinois College in Jacksonville, where okay. Lisa and I are from. Yeah. Um you know, all of those, they had what were called Beecher's Bibles. They used to ship rifles out west. I've heard of those. In boxes before. that were yeah. labeled Bibles. And so that you could shoot people who believed in slavery. <laughs> I mean, just, seriously, the violence was on both sides. Yeah, it wasn't just, I mean, people were really, it's, it's hard for us to imagine today. You know, today we're a bit out of shape about, you know, whatever might be going on yeah. with the president or whatever. But back then, you're talking about life and death. Death right. so circumstances. I mean, well, I mean, you know, on the other hand, you know, we're we're upset about the way the, the way things are handled with hurricanes or whatever, which are life and death situations. Right. But imagine when you're talking about people who are being held as slaves and yeah. worked as slaves. And you know, this is a a question of whether or not your state is going to be a free state yeah. or a slave state. And honestly, I can't imagine that. No, I and, just can't. and but but people were willing to, to die and to kill. Yeah. In both directions.
1: Uh, yeah, of course. You know? That's, I mean, it's, it's a super extreme situation, and we talk a lot about um, kind of like the the you know the upset history, um, and a lot of times of why that might leave an impression upon a place. So I think we should kind of dive into a little bit about sure. your your happenings with um you know your your ghost tours and how that relates to the Underground Railroad. And I know you have some stories about basements and tunnels and different things like that. Well,
0: this. you know that that's that's always been one of the cool things about this particular building. There are. You know, we talked about this in the story. There are a lot of locations in Alton that are purported to be part of the Underground Railroad. Yeah. Um, but again, you, you when you don't have records, you can't prove it. Right. Um, all you've got are the places that are left behind, mm-hmm. the, the spaces, the secret tunnels, the secret rooms, the, the places in the basement. And that's what's cool about this building is we, know, we, we do know that Nathaniel Hansen was an abolitionist. Mm-hmm. We do know he was involved in the movement um was he part of the underground railroad of course there's no records but yeah. if benjamin godfrey and some of these other guys were he probably was too yeah. um and based on what's in the basement it's you know pretty clear that there were slaves that were hidden down there in the basement and then legends is we're going full circle all the way back to your first question what, about the lights in the cupola well do we know um, do we know
1: about hanson too by the
0: way i know benjamin godfrey i know his story a little bit like but do we do know about I don't hanson? Know. you know i don't know
1: a lot is, about it, is it the prominent people in the town that yes. tend to kind of rise up yeah and... i think
0: so i think that you know i'm sure there were probably plenty of other guys um because i was working on a project last fall that had a lot of stuff about Central Illinois and it yeah. and Underground Railroad. And a lot of the people involved in it seemed to be like former slaves or... Uh, people who were you know farmers or had a barn where slaves could hide yeah. but in alton it seems to be a lot of prominent people yeah. and they they the resources i guess well, so yeah right. and and alton and quincy jacksonville these these areas in western illinois seem to attract a lot of people from new england and all of these guys mm. came from new england okay. uh, benjamin godfrey was actually he was a ship captain yeah. in massachusetts right. so these were people who came from New England who already had these values of, you know, uh, I'm, I'm against slavery, I'm part of the abolitionist movement, and they brought that with them to Alton. Right. And so Hanson seems to have been one of those guys. I okay. don't have a lot of information okay. I've never yep. found a whole lot. Uh, but he was wealthy and he was – a farm implement dealer in the days when there weren't a lot of farm implements. You know what I mean? I mean, it was the early days of plows and and that kind of thing. And so um, mechanizing farming was uh, obviously in Illinois a a big money thing. And so he was wealthy and that was part of, I think, sort of the, you know, he had this house that he built and he decided to incorporate uh, his beliefs in the anti-slavery movement into this house. So these, this tunnel, this secret passage was built into Mm -hmm. the basement and it's an interesting spot. I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, you've been down there, you know what I'm talking about. So I will tell you,
1: I I was down there for the year ghost tour when I was in high school. And then I went down there the next year for a a parade, I think. And my buddy and I, we walked up the street to that house and we were waiting, um, were in high school. Still, we were waiting for like my mom to pick us up. And there was a, uh, a man there that was uh, very intoxicated and was kind of stumbling around and he was kind of just asking us questions and, you know, just being, you know, good, good, jolly fellow. And, uh, he, w- he walked out into the street in front of that house and I said, you know, the funny thing I knew from you, I said, the funny thing, you're actually standing over a tunnel that goes out into the street a little bit. And he started jumping up them, freaking <laughs> and freaking out and it was just it's great. going to fall
0: through. And yeah.
1: I love that I had a little history lesson to, to give him
0: just because of your tour. Yeah. So it's a, it's a super interesting place. Yeah. Well, I mean the tunnel, it used to extend further than it does now, but it yeah. still, it still goes out about halfway across third street. Yeah you go down into that basement below the basement there Never been. Um, and it's a it's a cool spot I mean it's 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 an eerie spot and I guess the way the way that I look at it is it's a spot that's carved out of this limestone which mm-hmm. we talked about in past episodes times of times carved out of this limestone and you've had all these people who have been in this space that are afraid for their lives they're sick yeah. They're, they're hungry, they're terrified. they're terrified, they're, you know, injured possibly. And I think all of that energy leaves an impression behind, of course, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the ghost stories about the lower part of the house come into play. There was a, um, you know, in addition to, and I'll get to that too, in a minute about some of the things that have happened on the tours, but, mm-hmm. um, my uh, when I used to have the bookstore here in Alton, it was a block away from the Enos, so yeah. and I knew the guy who at the time I knew the guy that owned it, so I used to hear not only stories from him, but I used to hear a lot of stories from people who live there. Okay, I mean, it was a block away, they'd wander down and go, Hey, you know, hey, you know, so and so told me that you love to hear stories, here's what happened to me, yeah. And um, I actually had a friend who had lived in that building and lived in one of the lower level apartments that the basement. That is not above the basement, so to speak, okay. you know, where the, the tunnel and everything yeah, yeah. is and had told me a story about being home one night and, uh, hearing weird sounds coming from downstairs. They had a door in their kitchen that went down to oh, the basement. Man. I know. Right. And they kept hearing, she said she kept hearing, she kept thinking she heard someone on the stairs mm-hmm. coming from mm-hmm. downstairs and, uh, the door was locked in the basement. And it was, it was weird, because, but she was sure she was imagining it, right? Yeah. Until finally she said she kept hearing somebody right outside the door,
1: uh-huh. you know,
0: moving the door and here's the worst, here's the worst thing, mm-hmm. I think, rattling the handle. Uh, the handle was like jiggling yeah, back it's, and it's forth all in your head and the door it's was not. moving and then, you know, there was a uh, little, one of those little thumb latches yeah, on yeah. it and it was shaking and she said that was, that how, was how long it. can you ignore it? That you know? was it, and um, ah. they didn't. They they moved out like a month later. She said that was just too much. You I know, don't blame them. Too much, um, and you know we we go down there on the Alton Hauntings tours. we, yeah. we do go down there on the tour, and uh, we've had a lot of you know incidents down there. Yeah. I mean, as far as there have been plenty of times. I mean, there have been a couple of times I've taken <laughs> groups down there, and. Uh, people will be you know, gathered in that room and someone will lean against the light switch by accident. Oh. And all the lights go <laughs> off and of course everybody goes into a panic, which is always fun, but not right. really ghostly. Right. But we've had plenty of times where we have been down there in this tunnel and what I like to do is to take people down there, tell them the story, and then turn off the lights mm-hmm. so that they see how these slaves who were down there spent in an their entire day yeah in pitch darkness waiting for it to get dark so they could be moved on to another location i want people to experience that to feel it yeah and we've had plenty of times where we've had people down there who have had you know who have been touched have had their clothing or their hair pulled Mm -hmm. or will feel something brushed by them or feel this overwhelming cold spot And, and you know it's um it's one of those places where I really think—and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go out on a limb and tell you that I think that it's ghosts of slaves who are hanging out down there. I, I, I really don't think that's it. Mm-hmm. I really think it's more of the, the atmosphere, you yeah. know, the, these, these events that happen that have left an impression behind on the place. Right. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say the same thing upstairs, but yeah. downstairs, mm-hmm. I, I really do feel like it is a residual kind of thing. Yeah. I, really I was
1: going to say, you can say, you know, I can I totally understand why you feel that way about the downstairs. But there are very yeah. good reasons why it might be yeah. other things upstairs. The, the upstairs is something completely different. And I think, uh, you know, unless you have any other stories to tell, I think we might... We'll no, I, I think to we should talk about the
0: upstairs because I think as far as actively haunted, as far as, you know, ghosts who leave an impression, or not, or not leave an impression, but are actually... Present. Yeah. I mean that that I don't know if you. I don't even know if I. I guess you'd call it unfinished business if you die young. I guess it's unfinished. I guess. Uh, but it's somebody whose life ended too soon. I think. Yeah. And I think there are. Uh, I think there's a lot of that upstairs. And I know.
1: No, and I think this this place in particular um, was something that I hadn't really heard too much about until I had been on your tour and then definitely reading your book. But it wasn't one of like the you know places that. Gets mentioned. No, as, it's the, as often. you know
0: tuberculosis hospitals are not really something it's people not, usually but, talk about. But once you, you know? started
1: talking about this place, I was like, this sounds like a bad horror movie where yeah, it's like God. slaves, right. slaves in Doesn't the basement, yeah. dead, you know, hospital people in, yeah. in the attic or whatever. Yeah. And and but it makes a lot of sense as to why there'd be the traumatic history. Yeah, if there's any place that has traumatic history and all, it would be. Oh man, it's
0: this place. It would be this
1: place. What? Yeah, and it right. totally makes sense. And and I know you've been there a lot, and I I don't want to ask about. This, but I know I have to. Ghost children. Can, <laughs> yeah, you and your kids. Can, ghost can kid. you tell me about kids moving shit and
0: well, you know, weird stuff. <laughs> that, what you think's going on? That's that was that's a theory. Um, because of some of the stories. Um. People who've lived here in this building, and, you know, we, we talked about it. Uh, you know, I, I read about it earlier. Um, people, things disappear here. Mm-hmm. That, that seems to be a really, a really common thread to a lot of the stories yeah. I've heard over the years, is that things move around, things disappear. It's like that's m- what mischief. Right. Kind of well, and, and that's yeah. what makes me think it's not just a residual thing, that this is, you know, an active ghost who, you know, an actual personality yeah. who stayed behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like and, that term, too, the personality. Yeah, because, too, yeah. I mean, you know technically speaking, you know, what, what is a ghost? Well, it's a personality. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, sometimes science, they're mean, science, sometimes they're will, funny. science won't admit that ghosts exist, but they won't admit that personalities exist either. But we all have one. There is always something that makes us unique. Right. Inside, it's some sort of energy that nobody really knows what it is. Just because we can't measure it doesn't mean we we're right. probably and, haven't figured it out yet. And, you know, doesn't science say that energy is always there? Lisa? Yeah, it can't be created nor destroyed at Lisa, yeah. isn't, that, isn't that Talk the deal? We're talking yeah, to the teacher. The energy is always present. I'm not it can't you be destroyed, Newton. right? So... If if personalities are energy, then we have this energy is there, yeah. and so why couldn't our personality still exist? And if but, I
1: were a ghost, the first thing I would do is fuck with people. Well, yeah, exactly, like, of exactly.
0: Course. That's my plan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've already told we. You we, was this our last episode or the one before? You, you We were talking about record. what we were going to do. I on want record. a Viking funeral, and then I want to just come back and haunt people. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I want to do. Absolutely. So no pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, my my thought is is that because of some of the prankster things that happen, um, that maybe it's a child, or maybe it is An people like you adult. and people like you and I, <laughs> right. immature adults right. um, who just want to mess with people and move their stuff around and yeah. make things disappear. But my favorite story, and that's why, and I only mention this in the the narrative of the bottle of wine. My favorite yeah. stories to this day, and. I think I heard this story in like 1999. That's how long I've been okay, carrying right. this story around, um, and, and I've been telling it. But I had a couple who came to me and and told me that you know they lived in the Enos, and they had come home one night and were making dinner together and had brought home a, a really nice bottle of wine, not like the kind that you know we normally drink that are eight dollars. Um, oh, yeah, the nice ones like hear the, stories about this is like the 20 dollars ones that I know. Whoa, bought. right? That's exactly my range. expensive, right? Yeah, so. I know. Uh, they had brought home a nice bottle of wine and they had le- – it was sitting on the kitchen counter and they made dinner and they got ready to eat dinner and the wine was gone. The bottle was, ju- it was just – had vanished. It wasn't in the fridge. It wasn't in- on ice. It wasn't anywhere. It was just gone. Did they have a teenage child? No. That we don't that know It was just the couple. Okay. That was it. All right. And the wine was nowhere to be found so they just had something else, had their dinner and kind of forgot about it. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, not – the same night, not the next day, yeah, yeah. two weeks passed, and they were had gotten up in the morning and this woman told me she had walked into the bathroom and there sitting on the back of the toilet was the <sighs> bottle of wine that had disappeared two weeks before. <laughs> Ridiculous. And, I mean, that's not something that would just happen by accident. Yeah. You don't accidentally misplace a bottle of wine for two weeks and have it show up in the you bathroom. Notice it. You it. just doesn't happen that way. So,
1: that, so that's something I'm curious about then, like um, with those kind of stories
0: and – and I, if you're gonna ask me where it goes, I don't know. That's exactly. Uh, what I, I knew me. you were gonna. Because to do my. Okay, yeah. so we,
1: we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but something similar we think happens with um, a relative of mine. But you know, it's little mischievous things like your keys go missing or yeah. your, your ring yeah. or whatever. And I'm always wondering, do they, know. is it just hidden somewhere? In I don't know. Or does That's, it go into you know, another, another I hear universe? That
0: then come all back. the time with these stories. You know, I where think hell back go? at our River Road episode, we talked about the Ruble Hotel and, and the workers who talked yeah, about the their tools missing. Yeah, you know, and this stuff would disappear, and then would show up again somewhere else where does it where go, does it go? I, I don't know i'd i'd love to know uh, apparently into another dimension and, or and we oh, we even did. i don't know i listened
1: man. to a talk about this at your conference too and i thought it was really interesting that if if they can if ghosts can can do things like take objects and move them around or push people or whatever, then from a scientific res- perspective, we should be able to measure some of these things, right? right. If there's a right. physical interaction, and so that kind of sets a precedent of okay, if there's something physical actually going on, we should be able to somehow measure it. And I'm not saying I know how. No, but, but, but it's very
0: interesting. And, you know, to think and, about. and it was funny, and I hadn't even thought about this for years until you just said that. But there have been experiments done on, um, electromagnetic fields and the, the way that it makes things react. Mm -hmm. Um, there were some experiments done, gosh, I want to say it was in the nineties, sometime maybe in the mid to late nineties. And there were actually like the filmed experiments with like tables, levitating things moving around when they were exposed to these high electromagnetic fields. And I guess what makes that interesting is that people who are, you know, are ghost hunting, Mm What is the number one tool people use? An electromagnetic field detector. So, you know, people carry these things around looking for fluctuations in the field. And that was something that these experiments were being done to see how this, you know, electromagnetic energy would affect physical objects. And it would make them move. Yeah. I mean, just like when you hear about things disappearing or doors opening and closing or lights turning on and off. Yeah. You know, these are all things that could be affected by the electromagnetic field. Yeah. So I think that's always been one of – and it's again, it's not proven. And, and I guess that's – I've said and I guess several times here because this is such a who knows kind of thing. Uh, but that's made me kind of jaded about a lot of – you know, paranormal investigation. We've yeah. been using these electromagnetic field meters since, well, the, you know, the early nineties when mm-hmm. I first started doing this stuff. And yeah. what do we know? And that was one of the what, things, what do we know? That was something that was brought up during the talk that
1: was like, <laughs> yeah. okay, so we use these EMF. Yeah. And it's like, why do we use them? It's like, well, to measure ghosts. Like, the only reason we're saying these measure ghosts because we all agreed that they measure ghosts. I'm not saying we're yeah. not measuring anything, right. but, it, but it's very interesting. Right. Like, why do we measure? It? I know. And so I really liked. I don't know how much we can talk about it, but like the incentivized kind of measuring techniques, yeah. Um, yeah. that were no, brought I, up. I but agree they're with very you. So it's saying like, um, you know, if there's a spirit around, you know, blow air through this tube, and we'll play a song from the 1920s or whatever. You know, That's if they think am. that it goes from the 20s, it was very. Interested me. It seemed like that would be more proof to me if there was something like a, a clear
0: cause and effect almost exactly. or exactly. a well, call and response. And, that's, like, and again, that's why it. I've become kind of jaded about this stuff as far as using these tools go is, you know, we've been using this stuff for 20, 25 years now and yeah. we don't know anything more now than we knew then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and I've always, and I believe for a long time that when you do get these fluctuations mm-hmm. in these fields, you know, by itself, what does it prove? Nothing. If you can combine it with, you know, maybe a, a, a severe temperature drop, yeah. or you know, a door opens or closes at the same time, I'm, I'm much more willing to believe that than I am something else. That that I think that's why I've become so, you know, be, much more of a believer in, you know, history being a more proof of ghosts yeah. than science. Because in you know, all this time, we really haven't been able to prove anything to science, but history, on the other hand. You know, when you, when, and we've talked about this before, and I'm not going to go clear into it again, mm-hmm. but when you've got a family who moved into a house and they start experiencing something in the house, and then you find out that another family was experiencing it 25 years before and they don't know each other, right? That's pretty good evidence. Yes. Um, me walking into a building with a, a, a meter of some sort that starts beeping, right? You no, know, because there's a faulty electrical outlet somewhere, yeah, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean there's a ghost. And yeah. so, but. You know we're we're off track here. Um, you know I think what? Right my, on. Well, I know, but my point was is that you know nobody knows where this stuff goes. I mean, but yeah, but it seems to be anecdotally speaking, it's a very common thing. Yeah, you know, and these are people who don't have any reason to lie about it. Right. I mean, they're just telling me a story. This is what happened to me. Uh, you know, none of these people got famous by
1: yeah they're not seriously making,
0: did not get famous telling me this story not so, bang you know they're all exactly story. so you know it's it's just weird I mean it's weird and I think it's a location that um is you know filled with legitimate happenings yeah um my favorite story of all time yeah. you know, about this place please please tell I had a woman who came to me told me a story which I later confirmed with the owner of the building yeah she said that she had moved into the Enos, and she had been living there for a while. She was up on the second floor, and she said that every night her upstairs neighbor was noisy. And anybody who has ever lived in an apartment knows exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely, um, I'm I remember. That right I now. still remember. Yeah, I still remember one of my first apartments, and there was a woman who lived above me who I I figured must weigh. 400 pounds. Yeah. By the, the way she stomped everywhere she went. I mean, it just made me crazy. My neighbor... She also had a boyfriend whose name was Roy, and I will tell you how I know his name was Roy. Well, I, I probably should. Because it sounded because kind Because of I, like I often used to hear it screamed on a regular basis. Ew. So I knew everything that was going on in the upstairs apartment. Well, it turned out she was like five feet tall, must have weighed 70 pounds. I don't know how she made so much noise, but anyway... Anyway, anyone who's ever lived in an apartment and had a neighbor upstairs knows what I'm talking about. Because my neighbor, I feel like they, they have a hip hop dance furniture moving party <laughs> every every night. fucking night. Well, and that's that's what this girl was telling me she's like, you know, this guy, you know, was living upstairs and every night at like one AM Yeah, he would move his furniture around, would stomp around and yeah. move furniture, and it's like these apartments are not that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, listen, I like to move furniture. I do. I'm a furniture mover, but not at one o'clock in the morning and not every night. Okay. So (laughs) anyway, she's she's telling me the story and you know, she said it would happen every night. It drove her nuts. It drove her crazy. And she just, you know, she one night went out with her friends and this is a couple of months after she'd moved in and she'd been listening to this over and over. So she lived there a couple of months and she Got home late one night. She went out with her friends, and I think she's probably half in the bag when she got home. Yeah. yeah. And kind of the way we record this podcast. (laughs) And um, so she got home and she said, I just wanted to go to bed. And this fucking guy starts moving his furniture (laughs) around upstairs. Yeah. Moving stuff around, stomping around, dragging stuff. She said it sounded like he was taking his couch. Picking up one end, this is this was her quote. Yeah, yeah. Picking up one end of the couch and just dragging it across the floor. <laughs> and it would, like, skip as it went, right? It's a weird CrossFit So thing. she's telling me this story. And, and she's like, I had just – she goes, I'm sure it was the alcohol, but I was suddenly very brave. And I decided I was going to go up and tell him exactly how I felt about his yeah, furniture Yeah, piece of my mind. So she slams out of her apartment, stomps up the stairs – Goes to this guy's door and starts beating on the door, right? And when she does, the door swings open because it's not locked. It's open. Swings open. The apartment, there's no lights, and it's empty. (laughs) There's no one in it, and there's no furniture. Now, she's been listening to this guy upstairs move furniture for two months. There's not a stick of furniture in it. In the apartment. So the next day she called the owner and said, hey, listen, I had something weird happen. And she said, well, I hate to tell you this. The owner says, I hate to tell you this, but there hasn't been anybody in that apartment the entire time you've lived there. Damn. She moved out. Yeah. So she moved out. And um, that was, that has always been like my, that. that is like the. The epitome of the Eno's apartment building. Yeah. This is what you need to know about this place: right. is that it that is story tells it all. Haunted. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a weird place, and it should be. I mean, look at what has gone through that building. Yeah, look at the history that has been left behind on a really. I mean, it's a cool. Don't I mean, be it's beautiful, I and mean, they've really done a nice, sharp. Oh, story yeah, yeah, it's very It's nice. a beautiful building, but. In Alton, in a town, when you get up into like you know the Middletown area, there's these there are these giant, beautiful houses everywhere. So essentially, it's a fairly innocuous house on Third Street in Alton, and it's just like so many others. Yeah, you, you would if you twice. didn't know, you would never know all of the things that have happened yeah. in that building. But everything that has happened there has left an impression behind, yeah. and there is no question—at least in my mind—there is no question. It is haunted. Yeah. It is a weird spot and it's a cool spot. It's a historic spot and um, history has left its mark there. For for
1: sure. sure. And since you told me about that, you know, back in in the ghost tour in high school, every time I drive by now, I, I will look up at it and I'm like, you know what, that's the ideal spot to put a flame or two or whatever to like signal across the way, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have, I've never no, noticed perfect. that, yeah, but it, it looks, it looks amazing. And it's just a great spot. I didn't actually get to go inside of it whenever you gave your tour and stuff,
0: but, um, it looks awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. One of these days we'll, we'll get you in there. I would love that. <laughs> well, on that note, I guess we should probably wrap this up. Um, so everybody, Hey, listen, thank you again for listening. We, we talked about this earlier and we really, Appreciate all the listens and the shares. And, you know, if you're listening to the podcast and you like it, make sure that you pass it on to a friend who is obviously not as intelligent as you are because they're uh-huh. not listening yet. So get them to listen. Um, share it with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Yes, I know please. you can listen to like, there's like 80 different places to listen to podcasts, which Cody knows, which I don't because I'm old and I only know iTunes. I'm so um, iTunes is a place that you can leave us a review even if you don't listen on iTunes. It Go really on iTunes, us. leave us a review because it really does help and it gets the word out and it spreads it around. So uh, please do that for us and um, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with this and we'll continue to have fun. Um, no, you know what? We will only continue to have fun if you review us on iTunes. If you don't Otherwise, review us, it will the not stops. be fun. A fun stops. here. <laughs> fun stops.
1: So uh, yeah. Thank you so much and we will see you again in two weeks. American Hauntings is a bi podcast. You can hear a new episode every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and receive a brand new paranormal history lesson. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books as well as other information about his upcoming ghost tours, events, and haunted happenings. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cody Beck STL or at Cody Beck.com. Please say hello, I'd love to hear from you. Find Troy on Instagram at Troy TaylorGram or on Facebook at the Troy Taylor author page or at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Some of the music in this episode was written and recorded by Charlie Brockis at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois. Find them at lighthousesounds.com.